called Robin Frost and then Preston's called Starbucks because I do so fuck him and fuck you too. I want to sew the world into its sheets. I want to beat it with a bat until the warning sticks. A handgun is a machine. I'm tired of holding the wounded animal of my heart and instructing it on how to bleed. All I see are stars in the mouth of a tiny ghost. Can you hear that? All those pins dropping. Hello out there, and welcome to the first ever Mile High Poetry Slam podcast. My name is Eddie Eifler, and I will be your guide through this amazing adventure that we call Denver Slam Poetry. Um, This podcast will not only explore local slam poetry, we'll talk about open mics, talk about notable information, features coming through, uh, let you know what's going on in this crazy world. Other podcasts out there are more about just poets sit around talking. Well, this is more of an informational show. This is more of letting you guys know, the listeners, what's going on in this crazy mile-high town, even if you're not from here, even if you don't live here. So whether you are 10 feet away, 10 miles away, or 10,000 miles away, I do want to welcome you, and thank you for listening. We're going to get into all things Denver Poetry. We're going to get into the Mercury Cafe. We're going to get into Slam Nuba, Minor Disturbance, Here, Here, any other news or noteworthy events, any features coming through. We're going to talk about all of that in this podcast. But before we do that, I did want to let you know a little bit about myself. Again, my name is Eddie Eifler. I've been involved in the Slam community since around about 2004. In fact, April 2004 was the first Slam I ever attended. It was what was called the Barrio Slam back then, and it was amazing. It was a great night. So many fantastic poems, so many fantastic poets, such a good atmosphere, and I was hooked from there on out. I have taken breaks, I've, I've taken steps back, but I've never ventured too far from what I consider my second home is the Mercury Cafe. Uh, I've been involved in pretty much every aspect of this community that you could ask for. I've been an alternate on a team, a competing team member, coach, I've been a host, I've been the treasurer of the Mercury Cafe Slam, I've been a scorekeeper, the timekeeper, a volunteer at national events. Um, pretty much anything you could ask for, I've done it. Uh, just make sure the trains run on time, make sure that the show goes on, that whatever needs to get done, done. That's kind of my role, at least that's been kind of my role for the last handful of years. And that's part of why I wanted to start this podcast. I wanted to talk about not just what was going on, but what has gone on, and how that influences not only what is going on, but what could go on in the future. So that's what we're going to get into. Um, Again, I thank you for for joining us today. And we're going to start it off with the Mercury Cafe. Denver. 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 Queen City of the Plains. Lift high our spirits. Sing well our praise. For in you we live and are loved. Alright, so the open mic happened on April 2nd, 2017. Just so happened to be this podcaster's birthday that night. And I was very privileged to host the Slam and to bring your feature, Ian Doggerty, up to the stage. Before we get to that, just go over some notable notes for the open mic. On this list for the open mic, we had Angela Nicole, Jim the Man of Steel, Paula Rose, Jessica, Monica, Ashley, Polly Littman, Bathsheba Earth, and Josh Rines. We had a couple of things to note. First off, Angela Nicole 
welcome to everyone and let everyone know that it is National Poetry Writing Month. April is, of course, National Poetry Month, and a lot of poets around not just Denver, but the whole country and the whole world, they are writing a poem a day for every day in April, 30 for 30. So, Angela Nicole, just let everyone know what's going on. I believe she is also participating in National Poetry Writing Month. And she gave us a poem, I believe, from that stash of her 30 for 30. In addition to the usual crop of open micers and first-time readers, Polly Littman, Bathsheba Earth, and Josh Rines got up to read. These are notable in that Polly Littman usually slams, but he decided to go on the open mic this time. And he also read us a, a poem, I believe, that has never been read on a stage before, and I'm going to play you a little clip from that one. I can't blame the drugs anymore, or ignorance, or youth, my mother, or therapist. All I have left is God and myself, and I can't tell which one of us is wrong. Now, Paulie's writing has gotten a lot more personal in these last couple of years. He's got a chapbook coming out that's I believe solely about his uh, Jewish heritage, his Jewishness, uh, called Jew Shit, a menorah of Mazel Tov cocktails. And I'm pretty sure that all the poems in there explore his uh, Jewishness in various different ways. And so it's really refreshing to see him kind of dig down deep more into that personal, more into that area that he hasn't really touched on in a lot of the years that I've known him. He's never shied away from his uh, Jewness, from his uh, Jewish background, his Jewish heritage, but he's never really tackled it in the ways that he's doing right now. So I just wanted to say that I think it's really interesting what he's doing, and I'm really excited to see what else is going to come from him. Then we had, of course, Bathsheba Earth. Bathsheba, or she, as she is known, used to work at the Mercury Cafe. Uh, she used to be a server, and every once in a while she would go up and read a poem and just blow everyone's minds and then go back to serving people. So it's really a treat whenever we get to hear her come and read a poem. Uh, she actually really endeared herself to the crowd in this next audio clip. And wait, wait, wait. <clears throat> you know, like, I don't know if any... A lot of you maybe are not poets, but sometimes we just write, like, nonstop sentence, and this is one of those poems. <laughs> So, like, I got to figure out where to take a breath and shit. All right. All my poets know what the fuck I'm talking about. Rewind. <clears throat> and, of course, she is not wrong. A lot of times, we as poets, we kind of get ahead of ourselves. We start writing without any kind of thought as to where it's going to end or when we're going to take a breath or what we're even trying to say. And so it was really refreshing to hear her just kind of disarm the crowd for that. And I think the crowd really needed to get that release at that point in the evening. They really needed to laugh, to just let things go, and uh, Bathsheba really let them do that. And finally, Josh Rines is a poet that's been around for a little while. I've seen him at Nuba multiple times, but apparently, and I did not realize this, he had never read on the Mercury Cafe stage before uh, Sunday, before that night, which was ridiculous to me, just because I've seen him read in a bunch of different places, but I... I can't remember a night before Sunday before he did. So, of course, I'm inclined to believe him. And he got up there. He he typically writes really soft-spoken, really gentle works, which was absolutely the case this time. He got up there, and he just melted people's hearts before they puddled through the floor, and everyone just wanted to fall in love with him by the end of the night. Is it fair to say that I never knew what it was like to love you? Just your absence... All right, that'll do it for your open mic notables. 
Then, of course, we had your feature, Ian Doggerty. Now, Ian Doggerty is one of those rare features who a lot of people come out for. Even people who don't normally go to poetry slams and poetry readings. He has been doing this for a very long time. In fact, he's one of the original founders of the Mercury Cafe Poetry Slam. Him, along with Ted Vaca and Kate Mackay, are the three that really started things off. And he is literally one of the best people to do this. He's one of the best poets, best speakers, best performance poets you are ever going to have the pleasure to hear. So it was really a treat for everyone who came out to be able to not only hear him read one poem or a couple poems, but to hear him do an entire feature set. He did one, two, three, four, five, six, he did six poems. A lot of it was new. He did start off with Invocation. We magical, we feely scouts and bards, we poets. Oh God, give us this day that we may be the voices we were always meant to be. Now, to me, Invocation is literally one of the best poems written in the last three years. It is about him invoking the ancestors of poems, the ancestors of the gods of spoken word, and the gods of all that is story upon the stage. And he uses so many terrific references. He uses so many terrific allusions to not just poets in our community, but poets nationally who are still active, poets who have come and gone, poets who have already passed on. And it is fantastic. Such a treat to get to hear that performed live. Uh, anyone who would like to hear a full copy of that, you can do so on the 2014 Mercury Cafe Team CD in its entirety, and I highly recommend you check that out. Another notable poem he did was called Boom to Boom, which was, per his own admission, a, a quote-unquote weird kid. Uh, Boom to Boom had a lot of uh, connective tissue going along with it. You kind of had to follow along with the poet to really get where he wanted you to go. It had a whole lot of stream of consciousness, a whole lot of uh, associated imagery going on with it, but if you did stick around, if you did follow Ian to where he wanted you to go, then the ending was pretty remarkable. I'm only going to give you a little bit of the clip right here, but it really does not do the entire poem justice. I I'm not suicidal. I mean, I don't want to die. I mean... Well, maybe I do sometimes, but, I mean, that was a long time ago. I mean, well, maybe not that long ago, but, I mean, I'm not diagnosed. I mean, I'm not really a doctor. I just play one. Wait, I, I didn't mean that. I only mean that sometimes I know what makes the hurt go away. I mean, sometimes this makes the hurt go away. I mean, sometimes it makes it worse, but, I mean, it mostly doesn't. Mostly. Another really notable piece was one he did called Wait, I Was Talking About the Moon. Uh, Ian is part of a writer's collective, a writer's group that meets every Thursday at his place. Um, these people have been meeting for a little while now, and they get together, they write poems, they discuss, they share, they critique, and they craft with each other. Um, so he dedicated this I Was Wait, I Was Talking About the Moon. He, he dedicated this poem to all the people in that writer's group. I've been to it a small handful of times, and it is always fantastic. It's always great. Whenever I do go there, whenever I feel like sharing my work with everyone else, I always get really great feedback. And he really extolled the importance of community while doing this. He really put forth this idea that we are none of us islands unto ourselves. No artist ever created anything 
magnificent or remarkable in a vacuum, at least not contemporarily. Uh, all artists. Yeah, I'll go. With it. I'll go there. Yeah, all artists create work that has been through several filters, not just a friend, not just an editor, not just an agent, but the people in that artist community have seen various drafts, various stages of completeness with that. And he is absolutely correct. If you are a writer, if you are an artist in any capacity, if you're a painter, if you're a sculptor, find your community. Find the people doing what you do. And see if you can make some connections. See if you can talk to some of the people creating what you create. So that not only can you share what you're doing with them, but that you can bounce your ideas off of what they're doing. Because iron sharpens iron. We all are in this together. We, none of us can survive doing this by ourselves. And that's it. I'm off my soapbox now. Finally, his last poem was one called Inauguration Day. Uh, he hasn't really written a political poem in a while, so this was a nice departure from a lot of his set. A lot of his set was very, very heavy, very, very personal, talking about things going on in his life, talking about very personal issues that he's gone through, so... He really wrapped this up, he really ended this feature in a nice departure, in a way that everyone could rally behind, and it's Ian Dougherty. Most people, when they write a political poem, it will be riddled with cliches, it'll be rife with uh, rehashed meme fodder. It'll have a whole lot of things that a million people have already said before, but this is Ian, and he settles for nothing less than his absolute best. By the dawn's early light, it's easy to see that we earned this. Because we shoot anything that doesn't look like us, then act surprised when we get shot by everything that doesn't look like us. Again, that was Ian Dougherty. He was amazing. I highly recommend you check out his books. He's got two brand new ones. Um, if you see him out and about, if you want to get in touch with him, find him on Facebook and ask him, hey, what's going on with these books? I heard they were amazing. And maybe even drop a line that you heard about him from this podcast and see what he has to say about that. But uh, it's time for us to move on. And now we get to the slam. Oh my god, people, can I just tell you how amazing this slam was? I can say without any kind of exaggeration, this was one of the better weekly slams I've seen in a very long time. So I'm just going to run down the names of the poets in the first round. First of all, you had the Poetic Prince of Denver, Connor Marvin, doing the sacrifice. He did get a time penalty, as he is wont to do, but still, he read a brand new poem. Uh, it was amazing. It was well worth the time penalty. First up, in the actual round, we had Johnny Osai, followed by Stylo Marx, and then Hoser, doing Columbus Day, Emily Camp, Piper Mullins reading a brand new poem, also getting a substantial time penalty, but also well worth all of the extra time. Catherine Grace doing her now, I think, locally famous, it's starting to become, 2112 poem, the one about Rush. We had Wheeler Light doing a brand new poem, and Elijah doing one of his older pieces, but still a great work back in the day. I'm just going to play you a couple of clips from that first round. Uh, first of all, Hoser doing Columbus Day. The results are in. In the case of America, Christopher Columbus, you are not the father. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because Hoser is one of those geniuses that Poetry Slam sometimes produces, where he is fantastic. He is great at 
setting you up for one thing and then delivering the completely opposite unexpected. He does a great job of setting up this Columbus Day piece with uh, comedy. He sets it up like a, like a Maury Povich kind of show. You know, you are not the father. But then he completely switches gears, changes it up on you, and just breaks your heart right in two when he starts talking about Columbus Day and Columbusing and taking things that don't belong to you. Um, the, the line that really kills every time that he reads this is the one about Indios and how can we worship a man who would kill angels. Oh my god. So good. So good. This next clip is just from Piper Mullins uh, letting everyone know what the plan for the night was. And there's some friends of mine reading in this slam that I really want to hear read poems again, and they didn't get scores that I like. So I'm going to read this poem, and it's probably going to get a time penalty because it's really long. Now, Piper is another one of those uh, who doesn't slam very, very often, and I think the last handful of times they've slammed has gotten a substantial time penalty. This one was no different. Six points on the time penalty. So, you know, Piper doesn't lie. Piper doesn't uh, go up there and say, I'm going to do one of these long poems and not deliver a long poem. But still, the poem itself was really, really good, really fantastic. We had a lot of new work in this first round, and we had a lot of time penalties in this first round. Uh, next up, the, the clip I want to play for you is... A brand new one from Wheeler Light, at least one that I had never heard before. Uh, I won the writing contest. Hey, Mom. I'm just calling because I wanted to let you know I won the writing contest. And I'm so happy. I mean, I haven't felt this happy since I last won the breath from my own body. Wrenched it out of myself like the last steps in a marathon only to find out I still hadn't run enough. Now, Wheeler is one of the fastest rising stars in Denver poetry. He really hasn't been around for very long, but man, his stock could not be rising higher. He is one of those people who completely gets what's going on. I haven't seen someone adapt so quickly to performance poetry as I have seen Wheeler Life adapt. Uh, when he first started doing this, he didn't have a whole ton of success just because his writing style didn't really lend itself to performance. But man, I have never seen someone change up their style and really find the success that Wheeler has found in as short a time that Wheeler has found it uh, like he has. Uh, he really is someone to keep your, your eye on, and he's amazing. He's a great human being. He knows how to play cribbage, and we play cribbage before and sometimes after the poetry, and he's just awesome. So definitely keep your eye on Wheeler Light as we move forward. And finally, I'm going to play you this one from Elijah, better known as Smiley Gatmouth, better known as The Flow Mingo, better known as Eli Lynch. Uh, this is an older piece that he used to do, but I, I personally haven't heard in a long time. But there was Victor, born to be a G, always had some shit to say, mobbing with more Latin kings than federal on the 5th of May. His goal in life was getting laid, and that got him a kid one day. They never thought that he would be the one to put the clips away, but should have predicted one day Victor's son would be the vicious one. And nowadays I heard they mob around with even bigger guns, and he didn't run from shit, and that got him hit with a shotgun, so Victor blamed himself for telling his kid to use a condom. It is so nice to see Eli back amongst our midst. He was gone to college for a number of years, and man, it is so refreshing to see him back in the scene, back doing his thing, working the room, being brilliant with all of his brilliance, all of his amazingness. He really is one of my favorite poets to do this, and just like Wheeler, 
the stock on Eli, the stock on Smiley Gatmouth, on the Flomingo, it could not be higher. So definitely watch out for what's going on in the future with Elijah. So from that first round, from that amazing first round, we had to cut down for four poets. And those were a Wheeler Light, Hoser, Elijah, and Catherine Grace all made it into the second round. Catherine Grace had the high score with her 21-12 piece in the first round, so she elected to go last in the second round. Uh, Wheeler Light did his flashlight batteries piece that I've seen him do a couple of times that just always just rocks you right to your core. Hoser did uh, Whoopins, which is a poem that he had... Uh, a couple of years ago, I believe he used for his two-minute slot at the Individual World Poetry Slam. It's about parenting and about if parents should, you know, spank their kids. If a, if a parent should get physical with their kids, it's something that he deals with. And he kind of goes back and forth on the subject throughout. At first he says, uh, whooping can feel as warm as a father's hug, and then he turns it right around and says, life beats our kids enough, let's use our hands to pick them up. It's a great, great piece. Uh, Elijah came out swinging in that second round with Keep My CD Spinning, and it did its damn thing. That's such a thick, complicated, well-written piece. And much in the style of Eli, it's just really fun to listen to. It's really fun to see how he connects the dots he connects and the path that he takes to get there. And finally, Catherine Grace with Galatea, another one of her well-known pieces about objectification, about uh, people wanting to hit her up for just sex on whatever dating app you like, uh, Tinder, Grinder, whatever you're talking about, maybe not Grinder, but it's a great piece. And so I'm going to play you a clip first from Eli where he keeps his CD spinning. What I am should be obvious. I'm a misogynist. No, I'm the opposite. Raise all my kids, give you massages, and keep my promises. I'm a positive rapper. I swear to God, my mom is a pastor. I got a pocket Quran. I've read almost all of the chapters. And I'm gonna get a couple Grammys. Yup, and an Emmy. I'm family friendly. Even your motherfucking granny gets me. Now, the reason I love this poem so much is because it is such a complete commentary on the state of not just hip-hop, but of music in general going on today. Eli is so good at taking a very complex, complicated issue and making it so that the audience can really understand his take on it and, and really addressing it from all sides in a way that makes sense to people, in a way that, like I said before, is really fun to listen to. Uh, this is a fantastic piece, and I'm pretty sure he's got an album, the Smiley Gap Mouth album, where you can find a version of this in its entirety. So definitely check that out if you can get a hold of him, once again, find him on Facebook, find him just out and about, um, tell him that you heard about his fantastic poems on this podcast, on the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast, see what he says about it, say, hey, I heard that you've got this awesome poem, keep my CD spinning, I'd love to keep your CD spinning, but I don't have it, how can I get that, and then you will be pleasantly, pleasantly, not surprised, but pleasantly rewarded by what you encounter with Elijah. And then Catherine Grace with the high score in the second round with her Galatea piece. According to Greek myth, Pygmalion crafted his perfect woman out of marble. He made her to his liking, fell in love with his own creation. When Galatea was made flesh from stone, did she realize it was now her duty to love the man that had made her? Now this piece is really starting to get its name out there. It's really starting to make the rounds because it, uh, like Eli, takes a really complicated issue like objectification, like 
modern socialization and social networks, uh, dating apps, and it really boils down to what goes on with those. And there's a right way to use them and there's a wrong way to use them, and Catherine Grace wants you to know what the wrong way to use them is. Um, it, it really walks that fine line between um, empowerment and shaming, but I think it does a really, really good job of it. So, again, if you see Catherine out and about, you find her on Facebook, tell her, hey, I heard you have this awesome piece, Galatea, from the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast, and then just see what happens from there. I'm not promising anything, but I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. Now, the final round, round three. So from that amazing round two, we had to cut down to two poets. We had to say goodbye to Wheeler and Hoser, and in the final round, we had Elijah and Catherine Grace. Now, Eli read a brand new piece that I had never heard before that he called The Foot Race. That was amazing. If you were not there, then you absolutely missed out. And I'm not sure if this is anywhere. So if you weren't there, then I'm not sure if there's a way to get this to you. But Catherine Grace took it home with one of her brand new pieces about sleep paralysis, about trauma, about waking up in the middle of the night and being frozen. It was so gut-wrenching. It was so jarring. It had people just kind of on the edge of their seats because they didn't know what was going to happen next. It really imparted that feeling of anxiety, of trauma that she was trying to go for. And she took it home with this clip. I wake alone. There is a pounding on the other side of the wall. I am night terror still dreaming. Heart race still the girl from that other place. The scared girl I was in my dreams gasping, gasping. My dark daemon of night twists the masculine horrific from waking life to dreams terror and will not let me leave even when dawn comes. So that was your poetry slam on April 2nd, 2017. Next up, we've got your interview with Slam Legend, with your feature, with one of the founders of the Mercury Cafe, Ian Doggerty. So we're Absolutely. sitting here with Denver legend Ian Doggerty. He just finished up a fantastic feature set at the Mercury Cafe. He also just finished up a fantastic feature set at Here Here. He's been making the rounds, so I reached out to him and he was so gracious, so nice enough to give us a listen. How you doing? I'm doing alright. Doing alright? Yeah, I'm just macking down, some, <laughs> macking down some Taco Bell. And so eating, eating that soft tacos and that chili cheese burrito. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we got to get that sponsorship, too. Oh, so yeah. Say that nice and loud. <laughs> yeah, Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Fire in the disco. Let's do it. Uh, so just for the record, for the lit record and, and the knowledge of the listening audience, um, Eddie's got questions for me and, and and i have not been prepped for this uh for this interview so uh it could get interesting this is true ian has not uh, seen these questions before i ask him so i wouldn't normally do something like that but it, it he's my friend i've known him for a long time i trust him and i can take him in a fair fight so <laughs> take me in an unfair fight <laughs> You bring a steel chair to that and still probably lose. <laughs> so I'm going to start off easy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with just some history. Okay. Why Poetry Slam? What initially drew you to Poetry Slam? Mm. Easy? easy? This is the easy it's question. The easy question. This is the easy question, folks. Um, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I, I had done, started writing poetry, did spoken word, got kind of turned on to 
the idea of quote unquote spoken word in the uh in the early nineties would give you an idea how just how old a fella I am. Um the uh MTV Unplugged did a they actually had a spoken word uh event on MTV Unplugged. No um yeah, and I heard, so I first heard uh, Maggie Estep and D Knowledge and um, Henry Rollins. Um, there were a couple other musicians that had also uh, done spoken word stuff uh, along with them. Um, I think, if I remember right, Exine Cervenka was part of that um, part of that initial uh, MTV Unplugged spoken word thing, um, and I. My dad and I were, I remember it very clearly. My dad and I were sitting in a living room watching his TV when I lived, when I, shortly after I moved in with him. And uh, my dad was ironing clothes, uh, getting prepared for a trip to California. And, uh, and we had, we, we just had threw, thrown something on to kind of just have some noise in the background and flipping channels and come across i was like what is that and uh i i so initially it was just like kind of the quote-unquote spoken word type of thing um more in in line with that oral tradition um and then uh it, it started doing that uh writing specifically to be uh presented as spoken word um going to open mics and and there used to be an open mic um, it was run by Henry Alarm Clock. He was kind of a, a predecessor, a, a forefather of slam in Denver. Um, ran a poetry slam out of the old Ironworks Brewing Company. Um, also back in the back in the nineties, and he hosted a open mic reading at uh, the old Cafe Euphrates on. Uh, wow, bringing like, me back with the cat. I know, right? <laughs> I, I know. Uh, old school. Old school. I yeah, I'm super of, like, old school, dude. I went dude. to a couple of metal shows at the Cafe Euphrates yep. way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I went to a couple of ska shows there. Yeah. Um, ska punk uh, shows at Cafe Euphrates. Um, yeah, and there was, uh, you know, I had gone there one night and they had, uh, Henry, Henry had uh, arranged this uh a feature poet um, to come through, uh, who was uh, as he introduced, uh, fresh off of winning the National Poetry Slam um, from the team from Asheville, North Carolina, a uh, gentleman by the name of Ted Vaca. If you're familiar with Denver poetry, uh, basically from the mid '90s to the present, um, that should be a familiar name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and he was actually a part of the uh, Lollapalooza spoken word tent. Um, the first Lollapalooza, they had a spoken word tent going around with a uh, touring component. I don't know if he was part of the touring component, but I know I, ha- I have a book. Uh, it was a compilation of uh, poets that were featured in the, in the Lollapalooza uh, spoken word tent that, from that first uh, from that first festival. Um, and he has, uh, one or two pieces in that, um, <clears throat> you know, and I mean all kinds of like every powerhouse name from like the mid nineties, uh, it was included in that compilation in terms of the spoken word scene. And, 
um, you know, and Ted's in that company. And he did that feature and uh, absolutely blew my doors off. Um, I, I can't speak to anyone else. I, uh, I, you know, I mean, the poetry audience there was very receptive. Um, was, you know, as my dad would say, down their street and up their alley. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, it was, it was just one of those things. Like I, I, from that moment on, I was hooked. I was like, I was looking for it. I was trying to seek it out. Um, wanted to learn more about what it was. Uh, it was really intrigued by the idea of, of a poetry competition. Um, you know, I, I played sports in, in high school and, and junior high and, you know, through my, through my young life and into adulthood. Um, I mean, I played rec league soccer until I was, you know, in my mid twenties. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I have that little bit of competitive nature in me and, and, you know, also the creative side and, you know, kind of, I kind of ride that line. Um, and, uh, and I was, you know, finally ran into Ted again, maybe two years later, um, a year, maybe two, I don't remember. Things get fuzzy. I've done a lot of drugs and, 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 you know, I smoked a lot of weed. I dropped a lot of acid and I drank a lot of beer and whiskey, uh, since that, since those days, memory doesn't work the way that it used to. Um, but I was sitting about a year or two, um, and ran into Ted at the, uh, Friday night open mic, the Mercury Cafe, longest running open mic in the, in the city. Um, probably in the front range, I think at this point, since, uh, Penny Lane readings kind of gone by. Even if we can't verify it, let's just go and say it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, uh, ran into him there and was like, you know, heard him read. I was like, oh my God, that's that guy. <laughs> so I like totally fanboyed and mobbed him after the, after the reading. He was sitting and taught that. Say hi, Dogda. That's my cat, Dogda. Yeah, my little my little black kitty. He's uh he he's mad because he's not the center of attention. He's like, I want to do the interview, Daddy. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, totally fanboy mobbed Ted after that reading. Uh, you know, and and we just started talking and we clicked and you know working with each other, um, just specifically on poetry. Uh, you know, I kind of, I asked him to be my mentor and, um, and, you know, he was really instrumental in helping me develop, uh, from being like a, a, you know, an an okay street poet, uh, into, uh, kind of moving into the slam realm and, and just becoming a better poet in general, um, you know, really helped me to identify the importance of finding my voice, um, which I think I really did, uh, in, in slam. Um, it fits, I mean, I'm an, I'm a naturally kind of louder speaker. Um, <laughs> I, I project well, uh, you know, I have a theater background, uh, from school. I uh, did some professional theater as well. Um, you know, I did, I, I did a little bit of speech and debate, uh, by means of mock trial when I was in high school. Um, you know, I, I'm used, you know, so I'm used to, you know, some of the finer 
bits and pieces of, that are required on the performance side of Slam appealed to me as well. Um, you know, I was a bit of a frustrated actor, so I, I was like, well, you know what? The hell with this. I'm going to write my own monologues, and then I don't have to worry about being cast in a play. Um, and then I can eat whatever the hell I want. Like this delicious like Taco that. Bell. <laughs> One more time for that sponsorship on that Taco Bell. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was just a culmination of right time yep. and background and yep. where you were at in life and, yep. and Flashpoint with Ted and we were off to the races. That's it. Right. Um, what do you think are both the benefits and the pitfalls of slamming regularly? Mm. The benefits of slamming regularly, I think, I think come in being able to read a room um, and, and learning how to read an audience and learning how... Even to present the same poem or the same poems in maybe a different way to appeal to to what your listening audience is looking for. Um, I think to an extent, depending on where you're at, can make you a better writer. Um, in terms of developing a, a slightly more accessible sensibility. Um, I don't. I don't cater to the belief that poetry has to be this esoteric thing. I think it's a lot more effective when people can relate to it. Um, the poets that the poets that I most uh, respect and admire, e- even in the classical stuff, um, kind of had that more accessible edge. Um, you know, I mean, believe it or not, for the t- in the time period, Shakespeare was very accessible. Absolutely, he um, had to be. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Walt Whitman and uh, William Carlos Williams, um, Langston Hughes, uh, Emily Dickinson, very plain language. Um, you know, very straightforward. You, you know, I mean, the, the metaphors are detailed, but they're but they're grounded. Um, you know, they're grounded in more realistic things. There's not, you know, I don't I don't go all in for like the rhyme of the ancient mariner and, you know, this kind of stuff that gets, you know, owed to a Grecian urn. And I, I you know, I'm more, I, I like things a little bit more tangible. Okay. Um, what do you think the pitfalls of slamming regularly? Pitfalls, it's very easy to get into a rut um, and, and to write about the same things in writing for scores um, and writing for points, um, I think uh, I think can pull you away from can if you le- if you allow it to can pull you away from authenticity. Um, I, I've seen it happen where you know it, topically uh, and thematically, and, and I mean even to a, to a degree, skill wise, um, very competent poems and, and subject matter. And, you know, and I'm sitting in the audience listening to these things and just this this almost like a laugh track running in my head. It's, you know, just saying, I don't believe you. Um, so that, it really is kind of a catch-22 where you, you want to write for the scores, but you get farther away from who you are. And that's kind of what audiences will mm-hmm. reward. Yeah. Know, even over quality writing, even over all these yeah. Or that authenticity for sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think I, I think it's there's a fine line there, you know, of learning how to be true to yourself and and 
you know, and, and still writing good poetry and still being, you know, topically relevant and, you know, I think it's possible. I don't think the best of us do that. Um, you know, I think, you know, there, there are quite a few people that I think, I think pull that off really well. Um, you know, are able to maintain, you know, a dedication to, to distinct voice and still addressing, um, you know, topically very poignant things. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Now I'm rambling. <laughs> but that can be a danger. It's mm -hmm. getting caught in that loop. Yeah. Yep. And I think, too, like, to an extent, um, people figured out how to win slams. Um, and I guess that's more what I mean about getting stuck in a rut. Um, what do you mean when you say people figured out how to win slams? Well, there's a, you know, there's a kind of a formula that you can win a slam if you, you know, writing about certain topics in certain ways and, you know, using certain, certain types of mechanics, um, a certain type of presentational voice, um, certain type of cadence, um, you know, if you if you study it and 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 you know really dedicate some time to figuring it out, you can you can use that formula. You can apply that formula just about any any theme or subject matter and and be able to pull off a win. Well, you already mentioned Ted Baca, mm -hmm. and you were one of the founding members of Poetry Slam, at least the incarnation that we now know is Poetry yep. Slam here in Denver. Yep. Along with Ted Baca and Kate McKay. Mm -hmm. What changes have you noticed in Poetry Slam, both local and national, in your time being involved? Mm. We're a lot more supported now. <laughs> you mean from a national perspective or a local perspective? Both. Um, you know, I think, you know, the Fed, the national, the national slam itself has gotten much larger. Um, you know, when, when my first nationals, I think we were, it was 56 teams. We finished 43rd out of 56. Um, just so you know that we were terrible our first year. Um, we got our asses handed to us. <laughs> um, you know, but we learned really quickly, and, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a lot more, there, there's a, a lot broader base of poets, um, there's a lot more diverse uh, base of poets now here in Denver, um, locally, um, participating in the slam and supporting the slam, um, competing in it, um, I think, um, you know, our audiences, I remember... I remember in the early days at the Merck when we switched to Sunday nights at the Merck, um, there being just enough people to have like a five person slam and three judges and maybe two or three other audience members and a host. Um, and was and it the same five poets every single week? Or? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, and that. You know, we just we just kept we just stuck with it and refused to say die and you know kept going and pushing and eventually you know now we're at a point where pretty much any given Sunday 
any given Sunday that room's packed. We're not we don't really advertise anymore. Um, I remember paying, you know, going to Kinkos and making flyers, you know, on my own money and you know putting them, you know, designing them, putting on the info, you know, printing off, you know, just five hundred. 500 sheets a quarter of you know quarter page cutting them doing the late night deal at at kinko's you know slicing and dicing and running running cardstock through the copy machine and, and you gotta put them up around town you yep. gotta spend the time doing all that yep passing them out putting stacks of flyers and you know wax tracks and twist and shout and down around the, the campuses and just trying to get anybody we could to come show up for stuff and then I think I'm about I guess about 2003 um, 2003 we had an article was published in the Westward um, I read that article that mm-hmm. was about your your ventures off to the Nationals right? yep in Chicago the trials and tribulations you faced with mm-hmm. it. yeah talk about that a little bit um, I think after that as I recall the timeline after that trip and that and that article in the newspaper in the westward um i remember there being a pretty significant jump in it in, in attendance at the slam um it was kind of like kind of like we've been going for what, about five four, four almost five years at that point and um and finally the word got out that we had something cool happening and um it was also right around the time that uh, Deaf Poetry went on HBO. Uh, yeah, that too. And that kind of helped popularize things, I think, at least in terms of, of generating an audience. Um, people then started seeking out poetry slams. Um, you know, and then, yeah, it just kind of blew up. And I think our talent pool, too. You know, we got... We had a few more folks who were, you know, new new to slam. Um, that were that had an energy, um, that kind of stoked some fire, competitiveness, and and kind of really, you know, raised everybody's game a little bit. Um, well, the 03 year was pretty stacked. It was you, Ken Arkine, Paulie Lippman, Andrea mm-hmm. Gibson was mm-hmm. on that team. Yep. Uh, was Seth on that team as well? Uh, no. O2 no. would have been Seth. Katie um, Worsing was your alternate. Uh, yeah, Katie Worsing was our alternate in 03. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that back when it was just still four yep. person teams? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was, that's a team I'll take today. <laughs> talking about back in 03. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, that was our first, that was our first run to semis. Um, that year we made it semifinals. We actually drove out to Chicago not knowing whether or not we were going to be able to compete. Um, we were like, well, you know, we get out there and, you know, we have, we'll volunteer if nothing else, you know, we'll be sacrificial poets and hang out and just still, you know, spring break it up with all the poet people. (laughs) So that's what I was going to ask you, Mm because I know that you did drive out to that 03 year without knowing if you would compete and you ended up getting into the competition. Yep. Uh, that couldn't happen today, could it? Like, if a team were in a similar situation and they were on the bubble outside looking in, 
as far as like changes nationally, I don't think that could happen. Like that, that team would just be resigned to volunteering, sacrificing, mm-hmm. and doing whatever else. Yeah. It speaks to. I mean, I suppose. I suppose if you did have somebody that ended up having to drop out last minute for whatever reason, or they were DQ'd or something, you could still possibly have that. I don't know that teams now. I, I think that I think the the main difference is that that the chance of that happening now is so much smaller um, that those teams. I don't know if those teams would actually be as prepared. Um, I mean, we we ran a full. We rehearsed as if we were going to be in that competition. Um, you know, that was that was the time and energy and effort that we put into every rehearsal was that we were going out there to compete, and we were going out there to compete at a high level. Um, and, you know, our, you know, and, and it was just that we just had this, we just had this faith that it was just going to happen. Like, it was, you know, it was one of those things that, like, we will not be denied, <laughs> you know. And it happened. And then it happened, and yeah. So that's a good segue into my next one. Is there anything you haven't done in the realm of slam that you still want to do? Mm. Actually, been a competing member of a team that won the nationals. Um, I've also never competed in a in an iwhips. Um, I go back and forth on that one because yeah. I'm, to me, to me the the I'm such a team oriented person. You know, I I put on for my city and and you know, in in that realm, to me, like you know, it's about NPS and the team competition. I I think uh, I, I don't know. I've always kind of lacked this confidence in my abilities individually which is weird to that even say um you know and I just don't want to I don't know I just never felt like I could compete at that level as an indie poet and you know I don't know that I necessarily believe that anymore but now I have this problem where like I'm old and my brain, game. and my brain doesn't work as well as it does anymore, um, or as well as it used to. Um, and that was the last wrapper of Taco Bell, everybody. Um, <laughs> so much for the uh, relentless plugs. Now we got to survive yep. on our charm and our wit. Yep. Mm. So. So yeah, I think competing member of a winning national team. Yeah. Maybe dipping your toe in an iwhip pond. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I mean, coach. I, you know, I've now been on a team that's made finals. I was on the team in 04 that finished second. I coached a team to final stage in twenty fifteen, fourth place finish, um, to an extremely worthy and and competent and and willing uh you know i couldn't be happier about the fact that house slam won that year um you know they they i mean they you know they had it they had everything um you know and and you know we 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 did what we went there to do um you know we competed at a high level and and 
we made it to finals. Like that's such a, it's such a hard thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a hard thing to do. And, you know, and and to have been a part of, you know, for me, been personally a part of two teams that made it to finals is a huge thing. You know, touring poets consistently compliment on, on, you know, on how, how much they enjoy this scene and, how our how much our scene seems like a community as opposed to other places they go or, or you know even where their hometowns you know and, and just the vibe that we've been able to cultivate and maintain here for so long um it's i don't know it's it's i credit that i think some of that at least to you know the the magic that Marilyn casts over that over the murk like she, she definitely has her wicca spells going down that oh yeah um, what advice do you have for up and coming poets who want to break in? Don't quit. <laughs> Don't stop. Um, keep pushing. Listen. Listen to everything you can. Read. Read, 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 read. And then when you think you're done reading, read some more. Um, reread. Uh, you know, just get a hold of a poetry textbook and, like, really learn the mechanics. There's a lot of there's a lot of very valuable information in those things and you don't have to go to school for it um there's a lot of that stuff if you have the willingness and you have the aptitude um you know i started off when i started off writing uh even spoken word it was terrible absolutely terrible i you know and I, but you know, it it took me a long time to get to the, you know, somewhat halfway, almost maybe decent poet that I am today. Some would say amazing, phenomenal poet. Yeah. Some would say. Well, how did you, you, would you call me the cyborg? I called you a cyborg forged in the steel belly of Pittsburgh, created to craft yes. only the most devastating poems known to human Shout country. out to the Pens, they're going to playoffs again. <laughs> Yeah, reigning reigning Stanley Cup champs. Just just throw that out there, and uh, yeah, you know, Steelers. It's their year. We're gonna get number seven. <laughs> just so you understand, I'm, I'm calling it now. We're gonna get that seventh Super Bowl ring, um, and make that you know set that bar just a a, a little bit higher for y'all. Um, and I'm sorry if you're a Broncos fan uh, or a Patriots fan. Or a Patriots fan. Or, You're not sorry. I, no, I'm not. I'm not. Honestly. Sorry. Sorry, Julie. <laughs> so you recently performed feature sets at Here Here and Mercury Cafe after mm-hmm. a prolonged absence yep. from the stage. Uh, what prompted the sudden interest in performing, and do you have any plans to feature <laughs> anywhere else in the metro area? Um, No plans to feature... At, at the current moment, I wouldn't mind featuring at Nuba, but I know their schedule's pretty booked, and I'm really lazy about about reaching out about that stuff, which is probably a lot to do with the with, with the um, absence. Um, I have also kind of I, I haven't been focusing on that as much, and um, I haven't been competing. I've you know honestly, I haven't even really been going. Um, I have this like jobby jobby job. And uh, it's pretty serious. Um, so, you know, I, I'm kind of running on that diggable planet's like mentality Sundays to relax. Um, 
and um but i you know honestly honestly uh a lot of what spawned it was i got asked <laughs> yeah it was i mean it was really it was like you know I, i've been working on stuff uh, i'm i'm contemplating a a run at grad school um did an mfa program um thinking about maybe trying to do that uh make that poetry thing like a career and teaching other people um and, and you know as i like to joke around dashing the hopes and dreams of you know, aspiring young poets um at, at a college level where you can actually <laughs> say what you want to say about them <laughs> um you know and, and you you know where you where you're not going to be you know, totally chastised for saying, you know, maybe you should consider something else. <laughs> You're just not cut out for this. Try novels. <laughs> um, you know, and but no, uh, you know, there was some there were some changes to the scene down in uh, down in here here. Um, they lost their longtime slam master and got a new slam master somebody that i've worked with uh, uh in my my little thursday night well my it's been a couple on a couple of different nights um right now it's on thursdays uh, my little laptop sessions um i got a little crew of people that i write with on a on a regular basis a weekly basis and we give feedback to each other and one of the people that used to participate in that uh is now the slam master here here um mallory everhart and um, when she became Slam Master, she was like, I want you to come feature it here, here. Can you come down? And I was like, when do you want me to come down? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. I was like, let's make it far away so I can have some impetus to actually put together these the, a new chat book. And then in working on the new chat book, found it, figured out that I actually had enough material that I was willing to put out for two chat books. Um, yeah. Having your heart broken and, you know, is uh, is a good impetus for writing. Um, I don't suggest it doing it regularly because um, it sucks. Um, but, yeah, I had, you know, I've been through some shit in the last year and a half and, you know, been through some adversity. And between that and working on a, on a portfolio to try and get my ass into grad school... Um, I, I've, I've had a, a lot of what I consider to be really good material and some stuff that's, that's quite a, it's, it's quite a bit different than what I, than what I used to write specifically for the slam, um, because I'm not writing specifically for the slam. Um, you know, a couple of those poems, you know, I'm kind of all over the time map now. Like I used to be really consistent, like in that, like. 305 to like 307 time range you know that was like my bread and butter i lived in that <laughs> i lived in that uh in that in that three second realm right there um and uh yeah i just you know some stuff you know some of those poems are like four and a half minutes long i have a piece that i that i actually read uh at here here um and also, I also had a feature at the uh, Friday night open mic at the Mercury Cafe. Um, that and, and I read uh, this piece I have called "The Morning Star," 
that talks about um, my experiences directly dealing with uh, with the loss of my mother, and uh, and that poem that poem's like five and a half minutes long. I hardly ever write stuff that long. I mean, I have one piece that I'm working on, and like it's like four parts in a prelude. It's like up around four thousand eight hundred words, so that's pretty long. Um, and I've been working on that for like three and a half years now. That poem, I've been working on a long time. It's been sitting for a while because I think it sucks. Um, <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> I'll let sit. I'll let stuff sit because I think it sucks. I I don't know. I've lost. I kind of lost sight of it. I was looking over it the other day and just trying to see, you know, what other edits I can make. Um, before I started the editing process on it, those uh, 6,200 words. So I've chopped a lot out of it. Um, so I think it might actually, I think I might actually think it sucks because it's really close to being done. Um, Make and, your own advice, don't quit. Right? Yeah, right. Take your own advice. Right. I just, it's it, because it's so long, like getting in and editing it, I, you know, I like I have... You know, some of the edits I did, you know, just my, my general, you know, taking out the articles and, and certain prepositions and, you know, trimming that, trimming fat that way. And then, and then, you know, then did a bit of serious rephrasing and, um, you know, and, and then I, I got going on one section and realized that it had kind of changed the tone of the whole thing. Um, so then I had to go through the whole rest of it and, and like fix the tone so that it was consistent, at least within, you know, so that there was some kind of like logical order, um, to the way it progressed. Um, and then, uh, yeah, now I'm like, I keep looking at it and I'm like, there's not, it just, I don't know. It just seems like so much. There's like so many words. Well, you also already brought up this idea of mm-hmm. writing as a community. You, in fact, mm-hmm. talked about that at your feature at the Mercury Cafe. Mm-hmm. So, how do you think your writing, uh, your writing group, the one that you have on Thursdays, mm-hmm. has helped your own writing? And what is your approach to critiquing other people's work? Mm. Um. Wow, that's a big question. Um. I mean, specifically writing writing with the community, especially you know when you depending on who you bring with you, um, you know I try to surround my myself with people that I think are are better writers than I am, or or at least as good at what they do as as I am at what I do. Um, and having that you know having that perspective, sometimes you know as as artists artists in general, we get really close attached to our creations. Um, and it's, it's nice to have that kind of somebody that, that, you know, uh, understands your potential, um, and what your capabilities are, um, and, and what your, you know, and respects you enough to actually tell you the fucking truth. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but also knows enough about the craft and like what, you know, to be able to give you, you know, a direction and pointers and I you know we don't always take each other's you know thoughts but sometimes 
you know, we have blind spots when, you know, with our own work and, and, you know, having that outside perspective and that immediate, you know, as, as you're still in that act of creation and inception, having those people to really right there to look at it, um, in the moment and give you feedback that way, uh, I think really helps you to then, as opposed to like going through something and showing to somebody later and workshopping it that way, you know, sometimes when you're, it's hard to get back into that groove of a piece that, you know, that, that, you know, you get in, you're, you're in this mental space and you're capturing this moment in time. And, you know, some of that, some of that capturing is also dependent not only on the moment that you're trying to capture, but also in the moment that you're capturing it. Um, you know, as there, as those are often different things, you know, we're recollecting experiences and, and pulling up memories and, you know, that those things can be difficult to recreate those, those situations. Do you take that same approach when you critique other people's work as far as like, you are honest enough to tell them the truth, but you try to focus on maybe craft wise or structure wise, some, uh, constructive criticism, constructive feedback. I don't know that I'm very good at giving feedback. Um, I, I work a lot in impressions, um, in my feedback. Um, you know, I'll say, you know, I give really generalized, yeah, this isn't working for me. Um, I think, you know, specifically there's, you know, I'll, I'll give, you know, this section needs some reworking. This seems clunky. I keep tripping over this section. Um, you know, or this phrase, this kind of phrasing, you know, a lot of times I'll, you know, I'll, 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 I, my big thing is not letting people get away with, um, I don't want to say being lazy, but I mean, for lack of a better word, but being lazy and not pushing themselves. Um, I'm a real big fan of the phrase when somebody makes a, when, when someone makes a breakthrough, really, really has that kind of aha moment in a piece. Um, where they've, you know, they've demonstrated they've, like, reached this next level. Um, I, I'm a big fan of saying you can't ever not write. You can't you can't write anything that isn't, <laughs> that isn't at least as good as this piece. Um, you can't not write, like... <laughs> so you feel it's your <laughs> responsibility to kind of hold them to that bar and mm-hmm. let them not slide down below it? Absolutely. Okay. Because what else? What else are we here for? What is the purpose of community? Is to push each other, to be our, to be the, to be the best versions of ourselves, in in whatever, whatever capacity that is. You know, I feel like I feel like the people that 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 are with me and that, that choose to join uh, with us and ask to join that group are are people that are committed to that ideal. Um, you know, that this is, this is about advancement of not only our art, but as an individual, but our, our art as a, as a, you know, that royal we, um, you know, that collective conscious or whatever. I don't know. Now I'm starting to sound like a fucking hippie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. All right. Last question. Uh You just found a magic lamp. You rubbed it three times. Magical genie popped out. He says, "You have one wish for Poetry Slam in Denver." 
What is your one wish for Poetry Slam in Denver? I guess that we... I mean, honestly, like, to 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 be funded to a level where we can support, like, support, you know, all of the slams so they don't ever have to worry about travel expenses, um, it, it paying the people that run those slams so that they can have that be their job and and you know and and then maybe a little extra money left over to do like an annual residency like an artist in residence thing um honestly i think that yeah i think that would be invaluable i think we i think is is we spent a lot of time and effort um fundraising for travel and and worrying about money um you know and and you know that that kind of time spent uh that could be better spent focused on on uh improving and creating better art um so yeah i guess that would be my being a finance guy that'd be my <laughs> that'd be my one wish nothing wrong with that that we have that we have sufficient funding but yeah you know i mean that's what we did though you know we didn't have we didn't have the attendance numbers, so we had to figure out another way. Um, you know, we had we had some mystery donors. Uh, I still don't know who they were. Um, that would that would give us you know some pretty decent sums of money. Um, you know, the, in those early days, um, always had my suspicions on who they might be, but was never able to confirm them. So, you know, it's. But, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, that stuff's hard, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you want to do these things and it's like, well, whatever it takes, you know. You know, that was kind of what we needed to do, you know. So, and at the time I was lucky enough I had a job where I could do it, you know. So, but we always figured out a way. So. Because there was the will. Yep. Well, that's it. A uh, huge thank you to Ian Doggerty for letting me come and, and yak his ear off and having him yak my ear off for the last 48 minutes. Wow. Yeah. I'm a long-winded motherfucker. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. <laughs> I talk a lot. <laughs> Words! <laughs> Our first interview, and it's with Denver legend, one of the founders of the Mercury Cafe Slam, Ian Doggerty. That is going to do it for our show. Before we get out of here, a couple of quick hits. If you want to experience any Poetry Slam in Denver, then there's always Sunday night at the Mercury Cafe. Slam Nuba is having their team selection April 15th. More details to come as they become available. I know that Nuba's having some troubles with their home venue. The Crossroads Theater is getting sold and bought, so I'll let you guys know when that's going down and where and what you can do to be a part of it. Uh, here, here, is having their Poetry Slam every second Wednesday of the month at the Zodiac Bar. The list goes out at 7.15, open mic at 7.30, a featured poet at 8 o'clock, and the slam starts at 8.30. With the Mercury Cafe, the list will go out at 7.30, sign up. 8 o'clock is the open mic. Any features that happen thereafter will be at 8.30, 8.45, and the slam usually gets kicked off at about 9, maybe 9.15. If you liked what you heard, then spread the word. Let people know what is out there. Let people know about the Mercury Cafe, about Slam Nuba, about Here, Here. Let people know about Minor Disturbance every second Sunday at the Mercury Cafe. Let them know about this podcast. Give it a like, give it a thumbs up, give it a rating, and let people know what's going on. 
this only survives, this only happens by your participation. And if you would like to participate, you can hit me up at Eddie Eifler, that's E-I-F-L-E-R on Twitter, or you can find me on Facebook. Let me know what's going on. Let me know if you think I should get a particular feature on here. Let me know if I need to make any other announcements about other poetry slams and poetry shows going on around town. Let me know. I'm, I want the feedback. I want to know what you're thinking out there. So until next time, until I hear from you again, always remember the point is not the points. The point is not even the poetry. The point is always going to be the people.